0: Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the sports Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wim Lou. And uh, as I want to do these days, I want to give you the whole rundown because want people to know what they can expect in the next two hours so first off uh co-host blake murphy's here with me on this ride the entire time uh but this is what we have for you today first off we want to talk about um just the raptors blake wrote a great piece about five trade candidates that the raptors may may look at okay may look at um and may these teams may do these deals. whatever we'll get into the details but-
1: i didn't even get into the specific actual trades and it's pelicans fans still got mad and then were mad later in the day that Trey Murphy, who is Mm. untouchable and already a superstar, uh, was riding the bench for most of that game last night Mm. against the Grizzlies, uh, most of the closing stretch at least. Yeah. um, Seven points in 21 minutes, but he's untouchable. Who is
0: the OG? My biggest takeaway is that there are Pelican fans because I don't see them in the building. Uh, But it's okay. We'll talk about sort of those ideas, um, essentially who the Raptors are. You know, could potentially target, exactly. Uh, then we're going to take a break. We're going to get to Mark Stein, check in with him every Wednesday, talk about the league. He's down at the G League Showcase, which is uh, maybe Blake's favorite event. Um, I wish I, I was there, man. I, know I, you I missed you the days there.
1: when it was in Mississauga.
0: It was actually really fun when it was in Mississauga. So maybe we'll do some G League Showcase reflections as well. Uh, then we're going to take another break. Um, Blake is going to be talking to Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who is the president of the G League, at 3 o'clock. That's going to be awesome. I think most people just remember him for being, you know, with the Grizzlies, Vancouver Grizzlies back in the day. Um, but, you know, I'm really curious to see what he's doing and sort of his vision for the G League. So I know we already got Adam Silver. This is, I suppose, not the next step down because that's Mark Tatum, but, you know, the next, next step yeah, down. It's, you know. G, it's G League,
1: Adam Silver. Yeah. It's also, we're going to do a little, you know, prehistoric part two. Oh, uh, just, you Just right. s- talk about the Grizzlies and, okay. and press him on Vancouver expansion. That's exciting.
0: Um, And then we are going to come back segment four. Uh Adam Maraz, uh, who covers the Denver Nuggets, uh, is gonna join us because the Raptors are playing the Nuggets tonight. And we'll get to know not just the Nuggets main players. I'm sure we'll ask them about Jamal Murray, ask him about Nicole Jokic. Um, but I I really want to get to know this like next generation of Nuggets players. They got a lot of prospects on their bench. Peyton Watson time. Yeah, so we'll talk about Peyton Watson, we'll talk about Christian uh Brown uh julian strother julian strother these kind of types and, and get a sense of sort of who else the nuggets have, because everyone already knows essentially the top seven or eight from watching them win the finals last year but anyway pork this fatty. is a long this <laughs> pork, shuts the pork belly um yeah but yeah blake how you doing man you good this I'm is a good. long intro but i'm you know. good
1: it's a long intro but there's a, a nice g-league thread through a lot of it in that you know some of the guys that the we're going to talk about on the Nuggets side were g-league standouts like peyton sure. watson um mm-hmm. Yeah. We can uh we also I mean we joked about the Pelicans a little bit. There was obviously nothing Raptors y that happened yesterday. Uh they were off. They play the Nuggets tonight. Yeah. But we got a couple pretty good games Man. last night. Um, you know, Spurs, Bucks, whatever, Suns losing to Portland, whatever. But yeah. we got a great nightcap in a game that went to overtime and had you texting about the Celtics being frauds in the group chat. (laughs) Um, That was the nightcap as Uh golden uh state beats Boston in overtime. But the big one was John Morant's return uh, Pelicans against the Grizzlies, which I think at the time when John Zion were drafted, Mm -hmm. you know, we thought that maybe that would develop into an individual rivalry. Maybe these were two teams on the upswing. It's been a little delayed to get to that point, because of Zion's injuries, because of Jaw's uh, disciplinary matters, mm. but we finally got the seat again, and it came down to literally the very last possession yeah. Oh, yeah. with Jaw Morant. I mean, first of all, like jumping up and down, frustrated, not wanting that timeout yes. after they come down uh, with the rebound. So Jaw wanted to attack in transition, and then as he told TNT after the game. Uh, once they'd called the timeout, the only play they were running was run twelve, which is <laughs> Jaw string him out in ISO. He has Herb yeah. Jones on him, who's you know a pretty good defender, a, a lot of length. Maybe you could make the case that Dyson Daniels is a better you know point of attack on a point guard defender. Mm-hmm. But either way, Jaw breaks down Herb Jones, spins, drives one way, spins back the other way. Let's a floater go over Herb Jones' arm here and Dyson Daniels' arm here
0: with a rear-view contest. They literally high-fived each other. The two defenders high-fived each other as Ja spun underneath for the game-winner. And then it the
1: bounces off the Wild. rim and in.
0: Yeah. Um, what a game. Yeah, what What a game. First off, bring a new definition to the term call 12. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it, it was... Um, look, I, I think Ja obviously has, like, a long road ahead of him in terms of, like, a just in the short term getting the grizzlies from so far under 500 into like anything relevant in terms of the standings um obviously the grizzlies are just really sad honestly they've had so many injuries they've had him being suspended they got a long hold to you know dig themselves out of but I also think the bigger picture is just it affected his reputation so much right mm-hmm. and, and it's something that obviously it, it's his own doing but like you even saw after jaw hit the game winner had this great return everyone's joking about hey, don't let Ja Morant go on IG Live after the game, which is a funny thing. But it's like this is going to stick with them for a long time. But to me, it was just awesome to see Ja Morant, the basketball player, return to the floor. Number one, it gives you another watchable team because the Grizzlies oh, are yeah. flat out unwatchable when Jaw's is not playing. They are just so hard to watch. It's uh, Desmond Bain kind of playing 100 miles per minute, making a lot of mistakes, taking honestly a lot of bad shots, making some, but, you know, not enough. Jared Jackson Jr. is already kind of a little bit of an awkward offensive player. Like, he can certainly go off and he can shoot. but His
1: 40 pieces this year have been the weirdest 40 yeah, pieces you could see, e- man.
0: Exactly. There's not an aesthetically, like, pleasing value to that. I mean, the rest of the starters yesterday was Bismack Biombo. And, um, God, who did they even start at guard, man? The, Vince Williams Jr. Yeah, Vince. You know, cool. But, like, it's just they had the whole team is unwatchable except for Ja coming back. And, I mean, we all knew that it was going to take maybe a little bit, and I thought his three-point shot wasn't there for Ja, mm-hmm. and he looked hesitant to take threes. But he is just able to get downhill at will against a a Pelicans team where maybe the some of their parts don't look that good defensively, but individually, they got lots of great defenders. And, they and have, nobody could they stop Ja. they will
1: get more guys back. Like, like, maybe it's probably going to be too late for Memphis, but – Marcus Smart could return on Thursday. Luke Kennard's injury is not expected to be too long. Derrick Rose is week to week. Um, He's not going
0: to play too much if yeah. If if those other two guys are there, but you
1: know, if one of those guys comes back, um, Luke Kennard, you know, not a huge role, but a little bit of shooting. They need shooting. They could really use it. They're not going to get Adams or or Clark back. Um, At least we haven't heard an update on Brandon Clark since like the start of October. Yeah. Um, so, and we know Steven Adams has done for the year. I do wonder if they could. You know, we got about six, seven weeks to the trade deadline. I, I, I think they're one of the more fascinating teams in that. If they, if they just go like 500 with Jaw, so they stay 12 games below 500. I, I do wonder if they become like a mild seller of just like, look, it's not this year for us, an Maybe. expiring contract that Derek Rose type. We flip that and, and take a look the next year. Now, obviously, they're very young, so you wouldn't do that with with too many pieces. But if they go mm-hmm. on a little bit of a run here and start getting into play in territory, at least where that's within striking distance and everything looks good around Jaw, I do wonder if they're a team that would look at the fact that Bismack Biombo and Xavier Tillman are their center rotation right now and their entire center rotation, and they look at maybe fortifying that spot with one of the centers available because you mm-hmm. see pretty quickly with Jaw. How quickly the other pieces snap into place, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jaron Jackson's mm-hmm. place make more sense. Desmond Bain goes from being overextended as a number one to like a really nice secondary offensive yeah, attack yeah. guy. I like him. Yeah. Um and you know, he didn't even hit the three that well last night, yeah, but he, he could be one, yeah. He's been the entire offense dur- during this time. So, you know, you get Marcus Spark back, you maybe get Luke Kennard back. If they go on a run, you say, Hey, let's let's upgrade that biombo spot, move biombo to a to a bench roll. I don't think that that anything could happen where they're super aggressive. But they I are, it, I, I think, uh, you know, a swing team where these next six weeks could push them in two different directions.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see that direction as well. Um, it, quietly, I feel like their development pipeline isn't as robust as they it was. They have lost
1: a lot of guys. Like, yeah. a lot of guys that just left for nothing or got, you know, part of a, a trade or something like that. Yeah. Like, they've just... Right. I don't know. There's a There's a brain drain to that. And they've actually still been a team that... Still hits on guys, right? Like like Desmond Bain is a really good find and, and oh, probably should excellent. have been taken 29th overall. Um obviously Jaron's a top pick, so that's that. But like <laughs> yeah. Santi Aldama is a rotation player. Xavier Tillman's a rotation player, Zaire Williams is a rotation player, John Conchar, probably better off as like a like a 12th man energy guy, but like a playable yeah. guy. It's just they were hitting at such a high clip mm-hmm. on these guys. And when those guys leave and you kind of replace them. With nothing, or you trade away picks or whatever, um, it can get a little. It gets really tough to to kind of maintain that over a, as we've seen in Toronto, yeah,
0: for sure. And I, and look. I think part of it is just this is like they're suffering from success. You know, mm-hmm. like when you are down, and they were they're were obviously in a bad spot for as a franchise. They traded Marcus All, that kind of kickstarted the whole thing. They traded Mark Conley as well. Ended the grit and grind Grizzlies. They were bad for a couple of years. That's how they get a Jaron Jackson mm-hmm. Jr. Um, that's how they got uh, John Morant with the second overall pick. Like, you. you but then when you Become a winning franchise. All of a sudden, you're picking lower. Yeah, you can get like a home run like Desmond Bain, but sometimes you you got to sort of figure out what the rest of your draft prospects look like. I think on the other side for the Pelicans, I, I was,
1: I mean, underwhelmed.
0: I, I'm often underwhelmed when I watch the Pelicans because I like and I individually rate so many of their players. Um, you know, every game it looks like. You know, somebody for them is typically going off. Brandon Ingram, I thought it was excellent yesterday. 34 points, 11 of 18, 12 of, 11 of 12 from the free throws. Uh, JV was also quite good. Mm-hmm. Took him out late in the game. Big decision for, uh, you know, Willie Green. But, you know, he was cooking before that. 12, uh, 22 points, 9 of 12 shooting, 14 rebounds as well. But, you know, they just they just didn't have any answers defensively against Jaw. Which and is I, tough because I, there's supposed to be a team, like, obviously... But he was only driving to the basket. Like, right. I think a more creative coach could have done something different to scheme that away because that's all he did. Even the last play of the game, he went to the, he went to the cup and scored. Here's the thing, though. You saw that last play of the game. I did. And, like, not only
1: does Jaw have great footwork on those change of directions and great touch around yeah. the rim, he's like a 99.9th percentile athlete, even by NBA standards. Well, like that you. That ability to string a defender as long and as agile as Herb Jones out and just, like, Burst past him and then spin back through the help like that's oh, That is something very few guys can do. Like that's MVP level athleticism. So obviously, we're not putting him there yet because he just got back. But I mean, you know, he was he averaging good. he was averaging twenty six six and eight last year before yeah. he went down, and that was you know that's really without a three point shot. He'll take it as a yeah. as a hey you went under because you don't have a prayer fighting over a screen against Jaw. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think look if these teams played. Again, in the next little bit, you'd scheme that a little bit differently. Maybe Dyson Daniels takes you know more of the share of that. Like like Herb Jones, the way he played last night, thirty minutes, probably a little bit mm-hmm. too yeah, much. I you could agree. have shifted that. So, like Dyson Daniels, kind of a nothing on offense. Yeah, Dyson yeah. Daniels only played thirteen minutes too, and also he's, a and on he's on like offense. theoretically your. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the problem with yeah. playing him is is he does gum up the offense. But he's I think probably your best point guard defender.
0: Um, so yeah. you know maybe you do that a little bit differently. I would just trap him. I will trap them and let I will let the rest of the Grizzlies beat me four on three. Yeah. Because I mean, the Grizzlies can't beat anybody four on three.
1: Yeah. I mean Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson with that little bit of extra space, uh, but you'd still rather them do it. Totally. Like you you'd rather make the team that is seven and eight or uh six and nineteen before last night <laughs> yeah. beat you four on three than have Jaw beat you yeah. five on five. That's easy to
0: say. Yeah. It, it's also like look, man, I mean if CJ McCollum wasn't uh then like air ball and then like get only glass on two pretty open looks yeah. down the stretch. It, it, we, we might be having a different conversation. But,
1: yeah. I, I do want to ask you about Zion a little more specifically, yeah. though. So, I mean, he finishes the game with 13 points and, and four assists. He only played 25 minutes, a little bit of foul trouble. Mm-hmm. They lost his minutes significantly. Like, though, that Zion and bench unit yeah, got well, he's the center. Ab- absolutely yeah. caved in. And some of the minutes came w- with Cody Zeller, um, but they got caved yeah. in. Um, so that's that's tough. And we've seen the Zion at center minutes have a decent defensive rating this year, but by the eye test, just, like, mm-hmm. not look good stable enough. There was a stretch in the third quarter where I don't know if he got all four of his assists in this one chunk of the game, but he was making crazy passes. The level of vision there is incredible. Um, With Ingram or McCollum handling his ability to either slip a screen or, you know, if one screen goes into a second screen to cut off, if he's the initial screener to cut into the paint where, you know, he still has that burst and you're not going to be able to defend him at the rim. But it really does seem to me at least, and I wonder how you feel about this. This far into Zion's tenure, they're still trying to figure out where he fits and how best to use him offensively. Oh yeah.
0: I that's my takeaway. Almost every game watching him. Now I understand that like part of this is like the fitness concern and this has been like beaten to death to the point where it's almost uncomfortable. Like, yeah,
1: I mean like that but, that explains why he's playing thirty minutes a game instead that's what of thirty-six I mean, minutes yeah. a game, but yeah. it doesn't really explain why you know it, on a game last night you can go away from him for in quarter entire quarters at a time like you've yeah. got good offensive pieces but you don't you don't have a good enough offensive team to just not go to Zion Williamson or like even if he's a screener or a decoy right well i think part of this is just
0: like the the pelicans roster construction is that like they don't have great like connectors they don't have great like they they have guys who can definitely create advantages and maybe pass out of them but like CJ's looking to score. Um, Ingram Ingram's is very get much into looking that to score. Bag, yeah. JV's a guy you give the ball to him so that he can score. Um, you know, their bench guys are largely hustle guys who come in and, you know, supplement. It's, like, kind of ideally what yeah. you want Dyson from a bench. Daniels
1: could maybe, like, not an A-level yeah. connector, but, like, he's had some games where he has five, sure. six assists, and yeah. he's, like, he's the two-pass away connector guy. Which Yeah, is but still that's not the
0: main distributor, right. you know? Like, it's, like, I, I, so I think naturally the best pass on the team is Zion so you're going to need him to play make i don't even mind him playmaking but it's just like you need to have like that clear consistent focus like i don't know why they don't set more ball screens for him for example um to, to get him that head of steam cuz he is terrifying when he gets that quick head of steam and like it, it results in games like this where he has 13 points and he gets he gets criticized a lot but like when you look through his box scores it's not that you know he had 15 against San Antonio. He had 13 in the game where they lost in the, the playing tournament to the Lakers. He had 10 in Sac- against Sacramento, 12 against San Antonio. Like it, These things happen for him. And this, it's because he's not fully, like, I guess they don't fully prioritize them. But, I mean, whatever. I mean, there's other issues. This is also,
1: with. like, it's a team that has Zion Williamson and Jonas Valanciunas, who, you know, you're not going to retool the offense around what Jonas does well. Mm-hmm. But it's notable that you have that center in your lineup, who we know is a good finisher and a good role man, um, and you have Zion Williamson, who yes gets used as a pick and roll ball handler more than the screener. But a team with those two guys should not be 29th in using the roll man. Oh yeah, like they're 29th in possessions finished using the screener, like passing to the screener and having the screener finish. You know how many plays Zion Williamson has finished this year as the screener?
0: Four. Oh, that's that's unbelievable on the that's year. Unbelievable.
1: And like, look, he yeah. he's up there in terms of you know how often for a forward he runs the pick and roll, but yeah. like. League-wide, he's not even, like, at the league median in terms of... So they're not using him a ton on either side of the pick-and-roll, but almost never as the screener. It's a little bizarre to me for a team with him and a team that has Jonas who, when Zion sits, you could see him running a lot of Mm pick-and-roll. When Zion's on the floor, they could run pick-and-roll if it's a non-Ingram lineup. It's just weird to see them... I guess it's it's just weird in 2023 to see any team not use the pick and roll a ton. Like we just saw the Hawks twice in a row, yeah. and every single possession down the floor is a pick and roll. Yep. Um, and then the Pelicans are just kind of like, no, we're we like our three one on one matchups.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm happy Jaws back. Uh, real quickly just the the second game was also great. Um I thought the Warriors were just dead the whole game and the the, <laughs> the Celtics were playing with their food. What did you call it in the chat? The the fakest close game of the season? It that, it felt like a fake close game the entire time. If it was like, "Oh my god, the Warriors have, you know, rookies on the floor, they have Corey Joseph on the floor, they have like, you know, Dario Saric and and Chris Paul, like Chris Paul looking so washed" It's actually it physically hurts me. I don't even like Chris Paul. Corey Joseph was the best Canadian in
1: that game, by the way.
0: Oh wow, that's uh, that's really tough. But yeah, Wiggins is really struggling, and he was struggling last night too. But it, somehow they were in this close game. I mean, somehow is that uh, they have Clay and, and Steph and other guys did step up. And I think when you looked at the like the final possessions, the Celtics had literally every open opportunity you could possibly ask for, and they squandered every single one of them to the point where they uh, the Warriors were able to get it to overtime. And at that point, you could just tell that the coolest person in the building was Steph Curry, who made an assortment of great plays. But obviously, everyone's going to remember that rainbow, that absolute rainbow where Chris Ball found him with a cross-court pass. And Steph, I mean, like, it wasn't even like he was open because Derek White was just there right on him and a bigger defender. And he also made a great contest. It was also late shot clock. And Steph just managed to shoot the quickest shot. I think Assad tweeted this on Twitter. It was like, how is he still fast? In slow motion. That's how quick his release was. And he not only did a quick release, but he literally shot it to the moon. It felt like twice the distance of the backboard. And it fell through perfectly for the dagger. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, credit to the Warriors. But, damn, I, I mean, I, I got a lot of questions about what the, the Celtics are saying. Yeah, like days. that
1: that's a elite shot maker shot, mm-hmm. my question would fall more in how do the Celtics come away with a five-minute overtime against a team that's as shaky right now <laughs> uh-huh. defensively as the Warriors with only five points yeah. in overtime. Like, they went one for four in the restricted area in overtime. Obviously, you brick your jumpers, you brick your jumpers, mm-hmm. whatever. It's the end of a long game. Maybe you got tired legs. But, yeah, one for four in the
0: restricted area is uh, well, is pretty ugly. Well, a couple I, turnovers, I, this dude. point was made a couple of times, but Steph was in foul trouble for the whole game. He got three fouls. He had to sit in the, in the first half. Then he picked up his fifth foul, and then he had to sit for a lot of the fourth quarter. When he returned, you have Steph Curry on five fouls, and you have Chris Paul on five fouls. And I'm not saying that it's like the, it's, it's a layup line against those guys, but you have to find a way to get downhill, to put pressure, and when you especially have great wings like Jalen Brown, like Jason Tatum, even like Derek White, who had a great game yesterday, until he bricked every single three at the end there. Um like, you got to find a way to get downhill more. And that's my biggest gripe with the Celtics is just, like, this is going to hold them back. They don't have that mindset to go to touch the paint as nearly as possible. Maybe it's because they're so good at threes. They just feel comfortable, like, oh, this is a good shot. I'm going to take it. Reminds me a little bit of the Rockets, though, back in the day. Even yeah. though what they, had, they this team has more ball movement. It's to tough, clear. too.
1: Also, like, like, Boston is playing two point guard-sized guys in Drew and Derek White. But part of the benefit of those guys is, like, yeah. they defend positions upright. So you don't feel that small. Mm-hmm. And then your wings are Tatum and Brown. That's it that lineup against them had Steph and Chris Paul mm-hmm. on the floor. Klay Thompson, who is not, you know, the three four checker that he once he was defensively. And like, look, I, I like Trace Jackson Davis. I thought he had an awesome game. I, I think he great, yeah. I think he's probably gonna start some games soon given how shaky yeah. Looney's been and obviously Draymond's absence. Um like I've got time for Looney. I, I like Looney as a yeah, guy, but fine, he's yeah. struggled lately. He struggled. Um but, yeah, you got to be able to find more spots in, in that defense than, hey, we're going to take jumpers over these
0: point guards. Yeah. And and whatever. Like, I'm sure you asked Joe Mazzullo, who is very prickly, as we know, he'll be like, I'll take those open shots, you know, 100 times out of 100. Those is, are wide open shots. It's probably true. But, I mean, at the same time, it's just like you had a great opportunity to potentially foul out Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. You had a great opportunity to even foul out Chris Paul, which I don't even think Chris Paul was contributing that much. But you tell me who I want a close game with, Chris Paul or, or Corey Joseph. I mean the the you know, young like, guys
1: had been shaky enough that like they went away from pods
0: for a big chunk of that game. Well, like, he even
1: played sixteen minutes. Pods
0: pods hurt his back.
1: Um, oh, that's why he left and he wasn't so there he, he left
0: right before the end of the first half. Okay. And so he seems like he's gonna that be okay. He says he's young, he's like, I'm I'm good, I'm ready, and he was very happy for the team. But like, yeah, I mean, you had a great opportunity. But I mean, the funny thing with the Celtics when you look at the stat lines is like, okay, so they took fifty eight threes, they only made seventeen. 58. First off, making 17 threes is enough to win, but not if you take 58 attempts cuz that's still 29%. It's yeah. unbelievable and the Warriors you make 17 were 20 innings. of 50. The Warriors were 20 of 50, which I mean like listen, I mean Steph and Klay are obviously better shooters than pretty much everyone on the, on planet earth. Um but when you look at the individual stat lines it's like you know, I, I don't I I get that these are open shots and I get that he was hot to start the game. Derek White taking 18 threes is just not like not appealing product. No. Uh, you know, like, that's Cook's so. product. What what happened to the game I love when Derek White shoots 18 threes in a game?
1: Uh, okay, so I have, I mean, one statement to make and then a question for you. Okay. So, uh, in addition to Trace Jackson-Davis, I was very, very happy to see Namias Keita yeah, get a uh, double-double yeah. on that. He is, for anyone who doesn't know, the first uh, player from Portugal to ever play yes. in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, Cambridge, where I'm from, is a heavy Portuguese population. Mm, nice, so, nice. I'm not Portuguese, but I'm, I yeah, keep yeah. an eye on okay, him, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I like to see that happening for them. However, the fact that, you know, he played – 21 minutes, they basically ran an eight-man rotation. Mm-hmm. Now, I know they were without Kristaps Porzingis in this game, yeah. and that's probably enough to to swing it. I mean, he's the guy who would actually attack
0: mismatches and actually play in the post, which top, is the funniest thing.
1: Yeah, and like then you don't have to play Al Horford one minute for every year old. He is you know, playing 38 <laughs> minutes. Um, is God, dropping old. Porzingis back into this enough for you, or do you still kind of feel like Boston is no, like, enough, one man.
0: bench piece shy? Uh, they're probably one bench piece shy. Uh, I don't really see how they get there. There's not big contracts I see on their bench, really, that you can even make that happen. They kind of took a lot of flyers. They took a lot of flyers on the Raptors flyers. Yeah. So they got-
1: and Banton and O'Shea
0: Brissett. And they had uh, Champagne. I think. Um, at, at one point. point, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They caught him so that's he's four- with the
1: Heat's G League team.
0: Right, right. He's in Sioux Falls. Um, or I guess he's in Orlando for the G League showcase, which we'll get to, but um, I mean... Yeah, I, I just don't think that those guys hit for Toronto. I don't think they're quite hitting for um uh, Boston either, in terms of especially for a team like Boston that wants to go to the finals. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, they probably need to add one more guy. But I mean, even even still, like you, you look at even like uh like Akita's like a success in in this game, like he was just getting downhill and bully balling guys. And I do feel like they're missing that element. Or they could just have some of their wings or guards play. Like I feel like I, I see like Drew Holiday playing more in the post than I do for some of the other guys. Yeah, but
1: Drew Holiday at this stage in his career has gone like full Kyle Lowry, where he thinks he's a power forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, he kind of is half the time, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it was just funny to see the Celtics lose, and it's always great seeing stuff, man. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, myself, I mean, Curry.
1: this is the thing about the Warriors too, and it's why we've talked about them so much for a 13 and 14 them. team. Is like, yeah, we like they're an entertaining product when they're good, or even if they're not good. If like mm-hmm. one of Steph or Clay have like a lights out night, it becomes really, really fun, and yeah. we we miss that aspect of it. Um, we also miss talking you about my because We got a we break shortly from Mark Stein. Uh, I guess we can come back to it after. You no, know what? It's, it's not going anywhere.
0: We will come back to it because blake identified five potential trade candidates those names are trey murphy the third jalen johnson and Manuel quickly their names are <laughs> exactly jayden ivy and andrew nemhard and uh, we actually have a another two to discuss so yeah. we have seven to, guys we can run through
1: to be clear the the point of this article wasn't necessarily the raptors should go trade for these guys it's trying to identify guys like shea and halliburton who yes everyone liked they were lottery picks they had all rookie ish mm. for seasons but they were not Anywhere near the level that Shea and Halliburton would become. Now, some of these guys that we looked at won't get there. Some of these guys are maybe already on their way, like a Jalen Williams from OKC, who I left off the list. Trey Murphy is maybe already on that side of it, you know, given what he's done offensively. But the exercise was more about like, hey, if you are a seller at this Mm -hmm. deadline, the Raptors or anyone else, that's the type of guy you're trying to identify. A guy who... You know, the other team is not going to be like, yeah, I have them for free. But a guy who you think can develop that next that next level. Um, and obviously, you know, the way a headline gets done, the way people consume things online, it was just like, oh, the rap. people uh, consumed it as the Raptors should trade for all five of these guys. That yeah. was not what the article
0: was. It's OK, man. You, you really can't like once you put something out as content like how people receive it, how people repackage it, how people digest it is uh, is, is not in, within our control anymore. So we're going to take a break. Uh, I've been your host, Will. U. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, let's call up Mark Stein.
2: Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Maris Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the raptor show on the sports night radio network i'm your host william lou uh joining us is nba insider mark stein and this nba insider is presented to you by cores light go from full time to game time cores light made to chill mark stein what's going on man
3: gents i'm good how you guys doing
0: I'm doing pretty
1: well. I'm a little jealous of everyone down at the G League Showcase here this week. So I got to ask, Mark, if we were ranking G League Showcase locations, uh, Orlando, Mississauga, Las Vegas. What's getting top of the table there? Well,
3: this will actually surprise you guys. I love Toronto so much that I was very fond of the Mississauga Showcase because I got to stay in Toronto. It was close enough, and if it was up to me, they could they could park it there, and I would be thrilled. I am a Vegas guy for sure. I love going to Vegas, and I definitely love going to Vegas in December compared to July. But like I said, I don't know that many of our colleagues here would vote this way, but if uh, if it was up to me, we'd be back there.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you saying that, Mark, just because you're on a Toronto radio program. It's, it's all good. No, oh, I'm kidding.
3: It's a hundred, but it's a, it's, a, it's a zillion percent true. <laughs> like I said, I might be the only... I might be the only media guy voting that way, but it is a true statement.
0: All right. Well, no, I remember uh, going to the G League Showcase once or twice when I was in Toronto. It was actually a a great opportunity. I was a much younger journalist at the time, and uh, it was a great opportunity to get to speak to a lot of people. You just honestly just randomly walk up, and you're like, hey, that's Anthony Parker, former Raptor. Mm -hmm. To me, he's a former Raptor, but it's like, oh, he's actually managing the Lakeland Magic. Let's talk about that. Let's talk to Kendrick Perkins, who I think at that time was 2018 he was actually – Still trying to get back into the league potentially at the end there before transitioning them to media, but it was actually great to talk to Perk. He was a super nice guy. He didn't know me at all, but uh, yeah, Mark. For people who don't know what the G League Showcase is like, like what what's the deal there? Because we've been kind of teasing this idea of like front offices will be all there, and there are maybe going to have some discussions to come out of that potentially with some traction on you know deals or whatever. Can you at least give us the you know the the five hundred foot view of like what is the G League Showcase?
3: Yeah, so the G League showcase, basically the whole G League is here, all playing at least two games. And as a result, every NBA team sends its front office here because in four days you can literally get a look at everybody playing in this league multiple times. And so it's obviously valuable to teams from that perspective, from the scouting perspective, but this is not an event open to the public. That's what makes it different than summer league. Summer league is in July. There are more transactions happening while summer league is happening. That's also an issue, but summer league has become such a big deal, <clears throat> such it's you know summer league draws such a crowd in Vegas that you, you see it's gotten to the point that you know if if Masai Ujiri is talking to Rob Palenka on the baseline, you know a zillion videos suddenly hit Twitter. Of, oh. oh my God, Masai and Rob Palenka are talking, you know, here because the public is not admitted. It's uh, you know, it's, and you know, there, there are a fair few number of journalists here because it is a great networking event for someone like me again, because of that FaceTime. But yes, look, the trade deadline is a little bit less than two weeks away, but it is a chance for teams to get face to face and have conversations and, go to a hotel away from here, out of view of the whole gym and have discussions. So agents are here, team personnel here, a lot of media here, and it's just games all day. So it, it's the NBA's version of the winter meetings, except the winter meetings, there's a lot of deal action happening, and that really hasn't started yet.
1: Yeah, that that reminds me of my my biggest maybe reporter miss at summer league one year, where I saw Masai and and Sean Marks go off into like a side tunnel talking, and then like an hour later, the Damari Carroll salary dump trade uh, hit the wires, <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, oh, they're just probably like having a conversation. They didn't want to be in earshot. I, I should have I should have chased them down, um, Mark. So obviously, we're gonna talk mostly about you know the trade side of things as we do on, on this. Uh, show, but I'm a big G League guy, and I do wonder, you know, the G League Showcase as it shifts to this kind of winter meetingsy thing, um, and it's more of a, a tournament format now, where there's actually a winner crown, which wasn't always the case uh, in the past. For the actual G League players, you know, I look around, and with teams having three two-way spots now, some NBA teams having sent a fourth or even a fifth player down for this tournament to get reps. How much of this how much of the term G League showcase is actually still true versus these are just games as like a conduit to have everyone in one spot? I, I just I wonder if with how many NBA players there are down there, if it's not showcasing the actual G Leaguers quite as much as it did in the past.
3: No, I think I think there's definitely something to what you're saying here. It is harder. It's just the the romantic story of player X who is just on a G League contract and not on a two-way and plays so well here and can launch himself into an NBA career, there's no question that that is tougher now. There are three two-way spots on every team. The last time I checked, all but one of those two-way spots was being used and, again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I hope I don't have my facts wrong here, but I think the only team that didn't that wasn't using all three was Phoenix because they don't yet have their own affiliate. I think Phoenix just did sign. They just did fill that spot. So it's like every team is using its two ways. And, you know, you get a situation where like Indiana sends Jerris Walker down here. And of course he's, you know, a, a high level draft pick who's going to be featured if he's playing for the G league team. So I think you're totally right that, you know, it, it's harder to kind of, maybe the showcase opportunities are somewhat diminished, but that said it is still a gym full of NBA eyes. And so, you know, for the players, it is still an opportunity. I mean, you know, we just saw, you know, Lance Stevenson come back to the G league because, you know, he knows that, you know, 30 teams will be watching these games. So, you know, he wasn't in the G league previously this season and now he's with Minnesota's team, Iowa, because he knows that this is his chance to audition for a bunch of teams. But it's also a really interesting vibe because with no fans here, the players have to create their own energy. That's something that has always fascinated me about this, that, you know, you can probably hear the remnants of music that's playing during stoppages here talking to me. You know, they do have a sound system, but like there's no crowd. It's all just observers and, gossipers and people networking so that does i think make it somewhat more challenging for the players like where where does their energy come from
1: yeah even during the broadcast yesterday i was watching the 905 game and flipping a couple others like during a commercial break there's just nothing it just shows you the camera of an empty gym and there's almost no sound
0: yeah you know what that's fine it's just a great uh time for evaluation because i remember again going back to when I was in the G League show back in your day back in my day you know my day being 2018 this uh this this is a showcase uh I remember coming away from him and it was like look just from my eye test of watching the games the two players I would have advised teams to sign was Isaiah Hartenstein and Alex Caruso this is not this is not revisionist history I think I even wrote it down at that time but like you actually can get to see some quality of course I think at the time they were already tied to teams that the Caruso was on here on the Lakers etc etc okay let's talk about the the NBA side of things so uh, Marcin, you wrote in newer... just
3: to give you just to give you yeah? just to give you guys just to give you guys real quick though just an ounce of live action, okay? Just to show you how much I love the Raptor Show. Daryl Morey just walked into this little side room that I'm in that I tried to find a little bit of quiet to talk to you guys, uh-huh. and I wanted to put the full court <laughs> press on him, but no, I'm staying wow. with the Raptor Show instead of instead of chasing him now. So I just want to let you guys know that 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 this incredible opportunity I'm forsaking to. Uh, to put the full-court press on an NBA
1: team. Put us on speakerphone and get Daryl in Get Darryl
0: in here. <laughs> like, what do you want for OG and Pascal? Let's just talk about it right now. Uh, all right, we're going to talk about NBA teams of interest. So you put in your latest newsletter that, obviously, Toronto, Chicago, Utah are generating curiosity from rival teams. We've kind of talked about Toronto and Chicago quite a bit. Utah's a little bit interesting to me. But you also added that Atlanta should be joining this group. And I'm curious, in what ways Atlanta joining the group? Are they a seller or are they going to be a buyer? Because – They're obviously below 500. They're disappointing. Um, But at the same time, I I get the clear impression that they want to win. So what are you hearing about Atlanta and what can we expect there?
3: Yeah, look, I think they hired a win now coach in Quinn Snyder. And they really, you know, they they were very aggressive to bring Quinn Snyder in last season in late February because they wanted him Mm -hmm. to get some time with his new team, kind of a bonus, almost not quite two months, but a bonus. 8 to 10 weeks of seeing what the hawks have and you know which ways he might want you know which ways as an organization they might want to go forward with his input but like make no mistake about it they brought him in 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 large part because they were hoping that he was going to lift Trey Young to uh, you know a new level and form the kind of bond that Quinn Snyder had in Utah with Donovan Mitchell and they had really tight on. I, 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 I frequently told the story. I, rem- I remember covering a jazz Mavericks game in Dallas one time and another reporter and I were talking to Quinn and Donovan Mitchell came over to basically interrupt the interview and uh, ch- to give his coach like a massive post game hug after they had beaten the Mavericks. Mm. And, you know, that, that, that's not a typical thing. So, you know, I, I think the Hawks made their coaching move in hopes that Quinn Snyder could form the same kind of relationship with uh, Trey Young. And look, you know, Trey Young is still producing at a high level, you know, but the Hawks are well under 500 and have to be in the conversation among teams that have ranked as a disappointment so far this season. So I think the expectation is with the Hawks is that, you know, they, they need, you know, assuming that they are a team that is looking to make moves Uh, You know, I don't think they're a sell it all and, and, and strip it down kind of proposition. I mean, I think they're they're in search of the best compliments to Trey Young that they can find. So Trey Young and Quinn Sider have the proper cast that surrounds them to really go somewhere. I mean, I think that's Atlanta's goal.
1: What do you think about the Cleveland Cavaliers situation Mark where obviously Atlanta you know they kind of occupy a tier with Toronto Chicago and Utah as these uh eh, they're not good enough but they're not <laughs> they're not all the way at the bottom kind of teams they're they're kind of their own middle tier and Cleveland is three games over 500, they would avoid the play in right now, but they obviously just suffered, uh, you know, a fractured jaw in Darius Garland, a longer term injury to Evan Mobley. And-, and there have been rumblings that, hey, Donovan Mitchell, who's a free agent after this year, you gave up all those assets for him. You can't be all that sure he's going to resign at this point. I- is Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs situation another thing that, you know, b- potential buyers around the league are keeping a close eye on?
3: Yeah, no question. No question that a lot of people are looking at the Cavs and wondering how they're going to react to this injury situation. Because I wrote about this Monday on my Substack as well. That look, I don't. Think, you know, I think I think it it was you know, pretty well known in coaching circles that J.B. Bickerstaff was starting this season facing as much pressure really as any coach could because of what happened in the playoffs. The Cavs had this tremendous regular season, 51 wins, and then lost really meekly in five games in the first round to the Knicks. And because of what you talked about with Donovan Mitchell, you know, this is a thing that needs to gel and needs to work because the Cavs are trying to sell Donovan Mitchell on committing his long-term future to Cleveland. It hasn't happened. And now I do think the injuries actually ease the pressure on J.B. Bickerstaff, because how can he be expected to, uh, you know, get this team back to a 50 win level when he's missing two of his four main guys. But I mean, there's no question that around the league. And when you're talking to people at an event like this, what is Cleveland going to do is definitely one of those questions that comes up because the clock is ticking and Donovan Mitchell hasn't given any indication that he's ready to commit his long-term future there. And that's, you know, I, I don't think anything happens in the short term. I don't think anything is happening on that front as we speak, Um, you know, I, I would imagine, again, this is purely my unofficial forecast, but I would think that they would go through this regular season to try to give it a chance to work because, you know, we've seen when the Cavs play to their potential and when, when they have a full complement of players, they had the best defense in the league last year. So I don't think that they're looking to break this thing up tomorrow, but if the Cavs don't find success this season, I think that talk is only gonna get louder because Donovan Mitchell would basically basically be, you know, one summer away from leaving
0: at the end of this season. Yeah. It's uh and and it does seem like if he's gonna end up anywhere, um, the two teams in, in New York um would be possible landing spots uh for him. But I I'm also curious too, because one name that's I think new to this situation is Laurie Markuden with the Utah Jazz. Um what are, you, what are you hearing about Laurie Marketing in particular? Because it seems to me that that's a, a, a young big that's obviously already very, very good all-star level that can contribute and fit in seamlessly in a lot of places. And if he were available, I'm sure the, a man like Danny Ainge would get quite a few uh, assets back.
3: Yeah, I wrote about this. I want to say it was Thursday night. And the way it was described to me and talking to multiple people who have had their eyes on this situation is, Teams are going to test Utah's resolve on Lowry marketing. The feeling I think around the league is that Utah does not want to trade him. But again, teams around the league are watching this situation. Utah has been, you know, they have not been as competitive this season as they were last season after trading away Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And so Lowry marketing and he's on a very team friendly contract. So, our team's going to try to test their luck and see if Utah would entertain offers for Lowry marketing. I think it has already happened to some degree and I think it will keep happening between now and the deadline, but I think you also have to look at Utah and say to yourself they had a very high price. The price tag was really high mm-hmm. in trading away both Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. They got a lot of assets in both of those deals, a lot of future draft capital. So you can imagine that Lowry marketing coming off an all-star breakthrough season and with a very team-friendly contract, the Chaz, if they got to the point that they were willing to move marketing and that's not clear at this juncture in late December, they would want a ton for him. Mm. All right, and Mark. any team Going to be
1: willing to match that. Yeah, that's it's going to be a, a tough one, especially if the asking price is quite that high. On big shotgun, Larry Markkinen, uh, Mark. Before we let you go here, we we've kept you almost long enough. Um, you asked your readers in your latest uh, newsletter at, at marksign.substack.com about, hey, if this is the end of 2023. What are your favorite memories of 2023? This is your last hit with us for the year because we're not on air next week. What is your Favorite memory of the NBA 2023, or I guess it doesn't have to be NBA. You're you're a well-rounded person. It might not be NBA. What is your favorite uh, moment of 2023 here?
3: You know what? I'm Here's the honest answer. I still am drafting up my list and kind of deciding. I don't know that I have a clear-cut choice on it yet, but I'm so glad that you guys brought this up because I hope that means I would get a submission from one or both of you because kind of the whole point okay. of right. my exercise was Instead of me just making this is Mark Stein's list of his five or eight or ten favorite basketball memories from twenty twenty three. I I like to do it community style on my sub stack, so I've invited I've invited readers to hit me with their favorites and I've started to get a, a, a trickle of those. But like I said, I would love I would love to be able to feature a nomination from either of you guys. All right. Well most of you guys
0: even. So say less. So, we, uh, we will be in your inbox. Don't worry. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, this NBA Insider is presented by uh, Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time. Coors Light, made to chill. Mark Stein, appreciate you, and uh, have a happy New Year. And
3: besides, year. Aren't, we on, are, aren't we on next Wednesday? Isn't that December 30th?
0: No, December we, no, we are off next week. We are off next week. But, you know, if you hear Jeff? anything from Bobby and Masai, Jeff? just call us immediately, all right? I'm sure they're down there. I, I, I... I,
3: I, can neither, I can neither confirm nor deny whether I've spoken to them.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have to read your sub stack then.
3: I'll, as soon as I get something you're my first call.
0: Okay. I I'm I'm dead serious about that. I would love to know. All right. Uh pivoting away from this conversation back to the Raptors in particular. Well,
1: I have sorry, I have one follow up for you on what maybe your most and, and I guess we're off next week so we can't do like New Year's yeah. stuff necessarily. Yeah. But um I just saw the news that that Messi is going to play here in October. Yeah. Uh, how high does that rank on a list for you of, like, things you're anticipating in 2024? Like, obviously, I know it's Man. later in
0: his career, but, like, I don't th- care. for him to play in Toronto. Uh, as the killing Mbappe meme says, I will be there no matter what. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, I've <laughs> actually already passed that. I've already had conversations with friends who have season tickets, and I've arranged it in advance. Okay. so The TFC show and with this William Lou. Like, 3 months ago I think this happened already. So this is well in a year in advance. But yeah, that's going to be super exciting. It'll be a hot ticket. I, Lionel Messi, please do not miss the game. Yeah, I, I guess my please. other question
1: is if this was known yeah. a while ago, why is uninterrupted Canada just like tweeting about it now and like putting up? Uh, cuz he is playing in Montreal and Vancouver too Were those known as well? No, I did not know that. Okay, that's oh it. so my God. Montreal May 11th, Vancouver May 25th. Okay, I might have to hit my connects in, in those I mean, in those cities look, as well. May 25th, I don't I don't know. Is, is this team going to be
0: playing still? You might be able to get out to Vancouver. I, I know you like a little West Coast trip. Oh, man. Uh, honestly, Canada's got some great cities, um, and uh, yeah, it's always great to get around. Okay, we're you're not going to get around talking about this list that you have. So, trademark the also, third, like, it's Jalen a, it's Johnson. A, it's
1: something we can do anytime between quickly. now
0: and February eighth, right? It's I just know. yeah, I know. But you wrote the piece. I yeah. want people to read the piece. It was really comprehensive. I wrote, I, I read it uh, when you dropped. I read it again for preparing for this uh, segment. Out of those five guys. If there's one guy that you think, if you had your pick in terms of these five players to pursue, out of those five, and again the five are Trey Murphy III, Jalen Johnson, Emmanuel Quickley, Jaden Ivey, Andrew Nemhard. If you have to say one of these guys is going to become a future All Star, most likely to become a future All Star, Trey okay. Murphy. Okay, I, Why? I think Why? he's
1: I think he's on that track. I, I really like the offensive package. Um, there's a little bit of shooting there, obviously. Now not a lot of self creation uh, mm-hmm. on threes, but the the. Data we have so far says, hey, this guy can knock down a shot. He has been a little up and down defensively, as you might expect from a, a third-year player, but he has a seven-foot wingspan, which we know this oh, team man. likes. <laughs> this guy uh, like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, with, with a seven-foot yeah. wingspan, but he can yeah. shoot, so that's the difference. Yeah. And then but there is. is just like, as far as wing players go – a really tremendous nose for being able to get into the paint, whether it's as a cutter, um, whether it's as an offensive rebounder, like like he is already a high-end play finisher. Yeah, um, yes. Now, in terms of how that stuff is going to scale, yes, we would need to see him self-create a little bit more. That's the biggest determinant of, can a really good offensive player become a great offensive player? It's like, okay, well... When it shifts from mm-hmm. Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum are creating your looks to you're creating those looks for yourselves and others, yeah. that's the the biggest question mark in terms of can a guy's skill set scale. I think it's why Jalen Williams' year so far this year has been really, really encouraging because it's not just feasting off of Shea stuff. It, it's yeah. creating stuff on his own, leading units without Shea. Um, that would kind of be the next step. But I, I think I have him in a tier above these other names, and a big part of that is why, you know, Pelicans fans were kicked to be like, you're not getting Trey Murphy, mm. even though, you know, he is not playing in crunch time sometimes, and, you know, offensive pecking order-wise is probably fourth on that team.
0: Yeah, um, I guess the path for him, because he, he's not real, he's way more athletic than Mikael Bridges. Yeah, who is already a pretty good athlete in his own right.
1: But yeah, I mean, he was in the dunk contest last year. He, exactly. And, like, he's that, that level of athlete.
0: But that's kind of the path that I think he would maybe need to get through to like maybe see if he could become a number one option. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I don't think he becomes an all-star. Well, I, actually, I don't think he becomes an all-star in the current set- setup of the Pelicans. I think that's – I mean, unless he significantly makes a huge skill jump himself, I feel like he, he's one of those opportunities where it's like you need to give him even more of an opportunity to run his own system, kind of like Mikel Bridges is doing in, in Brooklyn right now. To get that kind of recognition to become all star. Yeah, but, it takes yeah.
1: a little bit for that stuff to scale. And, and then other of those other names on the list. You know, I think Andrew Nembart is probably the most logical in terms of hey, where where could the Raptors make a trade? Mm. What what fits? Yeah. Because you know he is behind he is behind um, Nembart there, and then they have Buddy Heald and Benedict Mathurin as well. Um, Nembhard, I don't think has the upside of these guys that we're talking about, but I do think he could do more than what he is there. And then Emmanuel quickly, there are cap scenarios we'll get into over the next couple months where maybe you could make an RFA play for him if you go a certain direction at the deadline. Sorry to talk so fast; I sound like
0: Wilu outro. <laughs> it's all good, man. I just want you to feel that that heat, that pressure from Derek in the ear, pressing like uh, Andre Onana. But uh, anyway, we are gonna take a quick break. I've been your host Willu. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet Radio Network. fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to the Raptor show. I'm Blake Murphy. William Liu uh, stepping out for a little bit it, momentarily. Here we will be speaking to the president of the G League, Sharif Abdul Rahims, who you may also remember from his time uh, with the Vancouver Grizzlies as well. Maybe we'll we'll pick his brain on what that experience uh, was like. He made the All Rookie Team that year. Eventually, had a, an All Star appearance as well, but that was after he left Vancouver after spending uh, five years there and like unbelievable Iron Man stretch. He played five seasons with the Grizzlies. And only missed three games over the five seasons. Uh, Pretty impressive stuff. Um, We're going to talk to him, of course, about the G League Showcase and the G League in general. The G League Showcase is going on right now in Orlando. We've talked to you about it a little bit. So while we wait for Sharif, let's do a little Raptors 905 update. Because when we've updated them in this space before, they have not been positive updates. The team has had a a really tough go so far. Yesterday at the G League Showcase, uh, they beat... Sioux Falls, who are the affiliate of the Miami Heat and had four Miami Heat players on their roster. Uh, they beat that team 129-110. So that improved the record to 3-12, and 12, which is obviously not very good. But you're starting to see now that guys have gotten back. Marquise Noel is back. Um... Justice Winslow is finally playing. Mo Gay is back. They've acquired Jonte Porter. You're starting to see the vision a little bit. They've won two of their last three games uh, against some pretty good teams in Delaware who are the affiliate of the 76ers and the defending champs, as well as uh, Sioux Falls. Probably the headline item down with the 905 has been Jonte Porter. He's put up some pretty terrific stat lines. He had 23-15-6 yesterday in just 21 minutes. Um he's hitting the three well. The passing is obviously there. I got asked a couple times on Twitter after that game, you know, what do I see for him as a as a potential NBA role? And you know, right now the defense needs to get up to speed a little bit. He has good instincts on that end. He's blocked a, a lot of shots for this team. He had three blocks in 21 minutes yesterday. The team's defensive numbers have been better with him on the floor in this small sample. Um, but mobility-wise and you know, scheme-wise, he's gonna have to, you know, improve a little bit in that regard. On the offensive end, if he can stay healthy, I think this is pretty clearly an NBA offensive skill package. He's a guy who, yes, can shoot the ball. He he wasn't shooting it particularly well before the 905 acquired him this year, but he has shot it really well since coming here. He shot about 40% on threes last year in the G League. And, you know, the shooting maybe for a big man is more of a, you have to have that as a show-me weapon of sorts. I think with him, it, it is beyond that. It's an actual thing where you'd look to get him, pick and pop opportunities or those Marcus All kind of trailer and transition opportunities if he's the last man back because he was in drop coverage or deep under the rim on defense and i think the you know the biggest thing that stands out with porter both as a prospect overall and in terms of his Raptors fit, is this has always been a player with a really good offensive feel who makes a lot of good passing reads, um, very, very comfortable in the high post at the elbow extended, running those kind of dribble handoff actions that the Raptors have made pretty central to their offense. So if you picture those situations where Jakob Pertle is receiving the ball and then taking a one-step dribble and a screen into a handoff for someone, or even a keeper situation there where you know he takes it himself, dribbles a couple times and looks for the next read, whether it's a cutter or a reset up top. Porter's really comfortable in those situations. Again, I think owing to the fact that the feel and the playmaking are uh, both very high. So that's something to watch. He, he's with the Raptors now on a two-way contract. They're not going to rush this. They have Jakob Pertle starting every game. They have Precious Achua and Chris Boucher in the rotation. They have Otto Porter and Jalen McDaniels, who they could turn to. But I think, especially offensively, Porter is a guy who could chip in as a depth big at some point this season. And then I think if the Raptors can continue to develop him as a, a defensive piece and, and at least get him to, you know, a stable point there. And again, the instincts are, are good there. The shop blocking is pretty good there, but you know, defending in space wise against NBA pace and space offenses, you would have some concern. Um, but I think, you know, th- this is a, a pretty nice find. Jonte Porter is a guy that I was high on back as far as the 2019 draft um, where, you know, I had him when the Raptors picked 59th. He was top of my board. I, I went back and found some tweets. Um, so obviously a guy I've, uh, I've liked uh, for a little while here. And nice to see him healthy and, and finding a groove with the 905. The other standout with the 905, and I'll mention Marquise Noel, I think all of you have an idea of what Noel brings to the table from summer league, um, from early preseason stuff. Yes, he's undersized at five foot seven. Before this G League team, he does a really good job organizing everything, getting guys the ball in positions where they can succeed, which is really, really important at the G League level. He had 11 assists yesterday in just 24 minutes. Uh, a couple of those to Kevin O'Banner, who's probably been the standout from this team in terms of guys who don't have an NBA deal or a two-way deal right now. He had 29 points yesterday, 11 of 13 shooting, four of five on threes. He's an interesting name because, I mean, first of all, the Raptors signed him on draft night as an undrafted free agent. He was with their program throughout the summer. It's obviously a guy they wanted to uh, get a look at from the jump there. And I don't think there was a ton of belief in scouting circles that that the shot would come along at least as quickly as it had. There are some questions about, you know, maybe is he is he big enough? He's 6'8", um, which is, you know, plenty big in the NBA, but there's not a perimeter-oriented skill set until this three-point shot came along. He's more of a, you know, if you remember what Justin Champagne looked like in his Raptors minutes, um, he uh, has a little bit of that, where, yes, he's going to be able to uh, crash the offensive glass a little bit. He's going to be able to... um you know, work in transition and, and as a cutter and things like that. But when you're a little undersized, you have to add that three point shot for the um for the skill set to scale. Sorry. I'm just trying to figure out uh when we're when we're getting Sharif here, uh sh- should it should be momentarily. We'll uh we'll connect with Sharif over phone instead of uh over video here as we pivot. Um so nine oh five play again Friday at ten thirty in the morning. So we'll surely talk about that on the on the show because we'll have just come back from uh uh, we'll have just finished the game when when our show starts here. So that 905 game on Friday will be the end of the 905's G League Showcase Cup season. The standings reset for the final 34 games of the year. The 905 are back underway on December 27th. And that's a really nice thing, obviously, because they're 3-12 and 12 at this point. Um, you know, you, you just have to put that behind you and, and the standings resetting really allow you to do that. That's a a nice boost for um, head coach, Eric Curry. It's nice for these guys, like a justice Winslow, who's coming in late, like a John Porter, who's coming in late, like a Marquise Noel, who has dealt with injuries. Um, And, you know, maybe those guys, of of course, they wish they could have contributed to a better record than three and 12, but you don't want to start with a, a team and a situation that is at that level. So, The standings reset here is really, really nice. And the only pieces missing for the 905 at this point are um, Javon Freeman-Liberty, who continues to be out with an ankle injury, and Omari Moore, who uh, had a, a break or a fracture in his hand a couple weeks back and is expected to be out a couple weeks more. So, um, you know, Javon Freeman-Liberty, I thought was the one of the two-way players closest to being Raptors relevant at the start of the G League season, but he's been injured on and off with, with a nagging ankle injury, so he hasn't been able to pick up steam that much. I would now say that Jontae Porter is probably... At the top of that list, the Raptors with a little bit more guard need than front court need. Um, But Porter is probably, in terms of proximity to an NBA skill set, certainly offensively and probably overall. um, Now, having said that, if Malachi Flynn or Dennis Schroeder were to get hurt, Marquise Noel is the only other point guard on the roster. Uh, Willu is back with us. Uh, What's up,
0: man? What's going on, man? I'm sorry to to leave you. I thought uh, everything was taken care of, but, you know, it's all good. That's all right. I enjoyed I can... uh, watching you from upstairs on my Sports Night Owl app. I'm serious. This is not a promo. This is how I kept track of what's going on. And, uh, yeah, I ran downstairs, obviously, as soon as I saw the messages. But, um, yeah, we're going to work to get Sharif on the line. But uh, I do appreciate, um, you know, the fact that the 905 actually have healthy, talented players available yeah, for them now. Because it's like I really do want to keep track of it. Um, I I love tapping into these games, and, and I do want to know if there are other pieces in the pipeline for Toronto. So I'm curious to see how they track that progress. I saw one question, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So certain teams do have their first-round picks who are largely playing the G League at the showcase. The Raptors don't. Righty Dick is with the Raptors. He is not down in Orlando what do you think went into that decision? I th- the Raptors have historically operated that way. Um, they
1: have treated the G League showcase as what the name says. That's supposed to be a showcase for the G League players. Okay, now so that's this not, is
0: not like a one-time thing? No, that's okay, not, and okay. that's
1: not a knock to any organization that sends their NBA oh, guys oh. down there. You know, those guys want to show out for future opportunities or, you know, maybe a trade ship or whatever. It's but literally a showcase. The Raptors have historically been like, that's for the G League guys. Let's, let, let's you know, make sure that... Because if Grady Dick plays in that game, you know, maybe that's no minutes for Jay Sean Page, who was a really good player during the stretch where they had nobody and, you know, probably a little on the older end now, but could still maybe get a two-way or a 10-day look if a team needed that particular skill set. If Grady's down there, you know, maybe MK McCormaker, you know, Mm -hmm. like obviously that's not the same position, but you only have so many minutes to go around. Um, Kevin O'Banner is probably the, the chief one where you know, maybe Grady Dick starts in that spot and instead of a 33-minute game where he scores 29 points really, really efficiently and any scouts who are there are like, huh, maybe we were, maybe we slept on this guy as a potential shooting development, as a potential energy guy. Um, you know, he gets to show out a little bit more. So that's historically what's gone into those decisions for the Raptors. Um, obviously, you'd be a little bit more competitive the more NBA people you have down there. Didn't seem to help the Miami Heat and the Sioux Falls Sky Force yesterday, though.
0: Mm-hmm okay
1: uh um, by the way justin Champagne was the best player in that game for sioux falls and he's not even on the heat roster he play, he started alongside four miami heat players and he was the best one it, it look I, I actually really like justin
0: Champagne. um gotten to know him a little bit did an interview with him it was great to just look up his history his brother's doing really well as well mm-hmm. um but there is some level of me that's like okay that's objectively funny that he said free me and he immediately yeah. was freed and um you know, now he's looking to be freed. I yeah. suppose I mean, in the G he, League, but he's putting up numbers though. Like he's he he's, averaging he's, he's, twi- he's a talented player almost
1: sure. averaging twenty-one and ten with two point six assists, two point three steals, one point three blocks. Yeah, he's got uh, he's got numbers. Now, the one thing that's going to knock against him is you know he's still not hitting the three, mm-hmm. which like I just kind of laid out with Kevin O'Banner, You can be an offensive rebound guy, you can be an energy guy. Justin Champagny has expanded his self creation game a little bit, but if you are kind of an undersized power forward type, skill set-wise, you got to be able to knock down that three. And that's something where, you know, O'Banner doing this even in a small sample has probably opened some eyes.
0: Yeah. Um, Man, Justin Champagne almost had that random game winner, which would have been amazing uh, for Mm -hmm. his Raptors career. I don't know if it would have changed anything tangibly, but it was a game there where he almost, I think it was the Celtics game. But um, can I ask you about Grady's appearances down in the 905? Because I know a lot of people have been tracking this, and I think all people really look at is the box score. Because let's be, let's be real, like a lot of people aren't as tapped into the 905. So what they do have to assess is the box score. And I think for a lot of people, they get a little concerned because he goes down there and he is still putting up lots of shots, but not a lot of makes what have you taken away from Grady's performances with the 905? Is he doing something differently? Is there something to work on? What are your general observations getting to see him play in an extended environment?
1: It's it's a bit of a mixed bag, and I should be clear off the top that the G League, especially his first couple games there when they had no point guards healthy, mm-hmm. um, when they didn't have you know a Jonte Porter or a Justice Winslow to be that kind of connector and playmaking big, um, yeah, that's a really tough environment for anyone to drop into, but especially someone who is... You know, not a shooting specialist long term, but right now that's his skill set, right? They're trying to free him off the ball for catch and shoot looks. But if you don't have a point guard to do that, if you don't have a big to set those good screens off ball, that can be tougher. So he had a little bit of a, a tough time fitting in that way. Having said that, you shoot 29% on threes over seven games, you shoot 29% on threes over seven games. And I thought at times there's been hesitation that's set in a lot of pump. A lot of pump fake, take one dribble in and then maybe, you know, contested floater from too far out rather than get into the paint, rather than take that three initially. Um, I I was starting to get a little bit encouraged with, hey, he's starting to rebound more. The transition defense, which had been a problem at first, had picked up a little bit. I thought the last game he played with them was arguably his worst game there. So maybe an off night, maybe a, a step in the wrong direction. I think he'll be back down there before. Long He won't be there at the G League Showcase, but who is there at the G League Showcase is Sharif Abdurrahim, president of the G League, who joins us now. Sharif, thank you for doing this. How are you? I'm
4: doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, I got to ask first about, obviously, the the most important G League call-up this week, our pal Mark Valena, uh, leaving you guys to go to the the NBA content side. How big a hit's that?
4: Mark Valena? Yes. No, he's with us in the G League.
1: Oh, okay, I saw he got a job promotion. the The job title's NBA now. I thought maybe he was he was uh, doing a little less with you guys.
4: Oh, he, he, did get a, he did get a promotion. I think we we promote him. He, he's a, um, a, a associate vice president, or vice president now of content of all of the G League. But awesome, um, He's still does.
1: Okay, and great. That's great to hear. You got, you got,
4: no, no. We we, we keeping Mark Lane as a gym. We're keeping him. We're not letting him. <laughs> not letting him get
1: away. Um. All right. Um, so it is the G League Showcase this week. It's down in Orlando. We've had it in Mississauga here before, and it's of course been in uh, Vegas. Um, what are you most looking forward to this week? How do you you know the, this Showcase? We talked to Mark Stein, and, and it's about you know GMs meeting up together. I talked to G League people. It's about the scouts being on the on the ground, and then obviously getting that G League product in front of more eyeballs both in person and through, you know, G-League TV, the, the new deal you guys have with Tubi. b um, What does this week mean to you? What, what is front of mind for you this week in Orlando? Well,
4: it's, you know, it's the first year we're here in Orlando. We have a, a four-year partnership here with um, with um the high end and uh, the, the Great Orlando um, Sports Commission to, to bring our showcase here. And like you said, it's been in a number of different places. So, one, excited to get it started here. We've now had a full... Day of games and into our second day, you know just what Showcase has become—kind of this meeting spot of the basketball world—and it's the one time during the year where, uh, you know, I think all of the basketball people and you know, sports people take notice of the G League. And you know, I think you know our, the tournament we have here, the Showcase Cup, our you know, top teams that to this point in our, our season competing for um, the Showcase Cup trophy and a hundred thousand dollars to our guys. Um, I'm looking forward to who breaks out. You know, this is always an important time with all the GMs and scouts being here to see who will kind of elevate and and show their game and get an opportunity. Um, And then just, you know, seeing people. You know, so many people from around the the NBA and the basketball world, just seeing folks, that's, you know, always a highlight.
1: In terms of the the Showcase Cup tournament that takes place, so the eight top-seeded teams, you know, playing – in a knockout environment here in Orlando, when the NBA was designing their in-season tournament, how much did they talk to you guys about? Hey, what's worked with the G League Cup? What's worked with you know you guys resetting the standings after a certain point in the schedule? Were, were you consulted as they put the in-season tournament together?
4: Yeah, we work. You know, obviously, like with our rules and, and our format and the league overall, we work really closely with um, league operations on the on the NBA side, and that's kind of who. Um, you know, work through the, the makeup of the NBA end season tournament. So they, they, you know, that was, it was some, some elements there that were, were bottled, you know, borrowed from us, you know, in the first part of our season, some elements from the WNBA, and, you know, then obviously some unique factors that only the NBA can do. Um, but, but definitely, I think, you know, a lot of, you know, what you see in the G League, you know, our tournament format, our rules, um, you know, coaches challenge, reset, um, the shot clock, all those, you know, a lot of that starts with us. That's, you know, being somewhat of a, a, a innovation hub for the NBA. A lot of that, you know, starts with us.
1: Um, since you've been at the helm in the G League, there have been a lot of, of items of growth, like the G League showcase becoming a bigger deal. I, I mentioned the, the G League TV deal with, with Tubi. Um, how much has the creation of the G League Ignite helped generate interest in the G League, and get more eyeballs on those players?
4: Well, I think, you know, people are really excited about young talent in, in general. Um, you know, I, Ignite has been a big initiative for us, and, you know, to have that quality, the quality of players and talent that, you know, we've had. And, you know, years past, Jalen Green and, and uh, last year, Scoot Henderson, this year guys like Ron Holland and, and Matis Buzelis um, you know, have been you know a Toronto um, young man and Leonard Miller um, last year. So having you know having that you know that talent in our league is is really exciting for people. So that that gets a lot of interest. But you know, again, I think it's you know similar to um, you know if it's a Marquise Noel who has a, a big following um, playing you know playing in our, our league, a, a Chris Boucher in, in, in years past. You know that. Um, you know, that quality of talent and, and for folks to see him in, in the G League before they make it, you know, really big in the NBA is, is something that we always celebrate. So, um, you know, Grady Dick, you know, coming, you know, coming up, going, going over to Mississauga and, and playing games. I think that's huge um, for the G League.
1: This this is also the first year that you guys did kind of a, an international side uh, of the g-league draft that that's you know similar to the ignite similar to the draft somewhere in between internationally um how has that been received by the league it, it, you know first year um i think it's something you know that has a lot of interest a lot of opportunity to grow
4: we had 10 players this year that submitted the, their names i want to say six actually went to training camp but then we had three of them that you know um you know ended up on, on g-league rosters it's the the Opportunity, opening up opportunity for international players, is something that we want to continue to um, grow and explore. You know, know, just basketball around the globe has become such a priority. Um, You know, we think you know, in the G League, it should be you know a place where players also have an opportunity to grow and develop. You don't you don't see as many young players come here that aren't already connected to an NBA team. You know, those that are connected to NBA teams obviously come to the G League for the, with their NBA teams to develop. But we think there's even opportunities for young international players to, you know, have a pathway to the NBA through the G League. So we're going to, you know, continue to look at what's the best way to open up those avenues for, for players. And we think it's, you know, good for basketball, obviously good for, for the G League. And, you know, it's been beneficial for those those players as well.
1: In terms of the you know more veteran players or even guys coming out of the the college system as rookies, um, you know two small changes that that the G leagues made under your tenure in a, along with the NBA is. You know, one, you guys added a third two-way slot recently, um, so that you know expands the NBA roster, the number of guys that are down there. There was also in the latest collective bargaining agreement an increase in that Exhibit Ten bonus amount. For anyone who doesn't know, the Exhibit Ten bonus is: hey, you come to camp with the team. If you stay with the G League team long enough, you get a bonus that kind of supplements the G League salary. Between, uh, Sharif, between that increased Exhibit 10 amount and the third two-way spot, have you guys noticed an increase in the overall quality of play and talent pool in the G League?
4: We haven't, and and, and when you talk to, um, you know, NBA personnel who who travel abroad and, you know, see uh, different leagues around the world, you know, they talk about just how much the talent of the G League has grown, you know how it compares around the world to other leagues. Um, I think what you see, even you know, I think two A's have been coveted. So, you know, obviously that is a is a major um, enhancement for us. But what you're seeing too is like players that in years past maybe they give the G League a year, two years um, to you know, with the with the hope of making the NBA then they would, you know, probably leave and, you know, go abroad. You're seeing those players stay with us longer, um, with the increase in exhibit 10 money, as you mentioned, the more opportunities for for two ways, you're seeing you're seeing those players stay within our system longer, which again, which makes the competition um, you know, even even, even greater.
1: Um, so in addition to to that, I, I think those have worked obviously very well when you look at the, the talent level in the G League. Um, you know, soon we're going to have a G League affiliate for everyone. The Phoenix Suns are the only team without one. Now you guys have also expanded with G League Ignite and the Medi- Mexico City expansion. So this is a lot on the on the player side, on the team side, on the league side. Um, what kind of things are, are you guys kicking around for? What would be next to continue to grow the G League here?
4: Well, just continuing to, to connect the G League to, to basketball uh, around the world. You know, we now, um, you know, we have G League teams that play in international competition competitions, as you mentioned, uh, Mexico City, Capitanas, you know, where our players are coming from. We just think it's such a great opportunity, um, you know, with the G League to be connected and a part of the, the global landscape of basketball. Obviously, um, you know, our Priority is, you know, preparing people, players for the NBA, but we also think, you know, we can um, play a big role in, in basketball around the world as well.
1: How do you think we uh, as a basketball media can, can help with that? I, I'm someone who, you know, I, I love going down to 905 games. I, I try to write those stories, um, you know, league wide, though, we could probably all do a bit better of a, a job of that. And I know, uh, you know, these these G League showcase games are being broadcast online. There's the two be deal. What can we do on the media side to kind of help the G League keep growing it and make sure these cool stories get told?
4: I think as much as, you know, I think it's just that. I think it's our stories. I think we just have fantastic stories of, of people's and, and and their journeys and understanding, you know, our leagues. I mean, you know, we're still in a, you know, this is just the 22nd year of the G League. So we're still in the process of educating people and, and uh, making people aware of our league. So, um, you know, as much as you, you know, we'll take as much coverage and and as much um, promotion as as you can stand and give us, um, to just share more and more about the G League. And, you know, we want to keep um, advancing our league and growing our league to a point where we are available to, you know, to people, to fans, and to to get to know. As I always say, I think our league and, you know, every facet of it is more accessible or should be more accessible. If you come to a Raptor 905 game, you know, most likely you're going to have greater access to, to the players, to the game, to what's going on than you will if you go to an NBA game. Um, and I think, you know, same with our players and the media interviews and so forth, um, is, you know, we, we should just have, you know, so much more access and understanding of our league. So I think just as, as much as you can share and talk to people about uh, Raptor 905 and the G League, um, that's a huge um, help to us.
1: All right, Sharif, Before I let you go, this is a Canada-wide show. Uh, my co-host Alex Wong released a, a book earlier this year about the creation of the Toronto Raptors back in 1995. Got to ask you about your experience with the Vancouver Grizzlies as well. You spent five seasons in Vancouver. Uh, what did you like most? What did you enjoy most about your time with the Grizzlies in Vancouver?
4: Um, I just I love the city. You know, just great, great city. Um, you know, so many, you know, so much culture, so you know, people, food. Um, you know, it's just a, it was just a great city. I just, I, I learned so much there. Grew up. I was, you know, 18, 19 years old when I went to Vancouver. Um, great people. Um, yeah. So just, yeah. I just love the city. You know, one of the great North American cities.
1: Well, thanks so much, Sharif. Uh, we, we really appreciate you taking the time out, uh, especially during a busy time with G League Showcase. Best of luck with the, uh, the rest of the showcase and the rest of the season. Thank you so much. Sharif Abdurahim, president of the G League, and my bad for the question off the top. I thought our boy Mark Valena had gone to the NBA side based on a, a LinkedIn update. Uh, I sent him a congrats and everything. He just got a new title. They're, they're not letting him go at all. we Will lose. back with me
0: now. What's up, man? Oh, we, we can't have Mark leave. Mark, you, you, you know, um, I, I'm trying to see you down at Scotiabank Arena, baby, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, no, seriously, uh, it, it was a great interview. It was, it was awesome to, to to hear you talk to uh, Sharif. Honestly, is, is this one of those guys where it's like, I know Vancouver obviously wasn't successful um, quite yet uh, when he was there and pretty much just, you know, just in general. That whole franchise was a bit doomed. But for his game in particular, I do wonder if it's like if you put his game in today's NBA, how that would have looked. Yeah, I mean, pretty good. He was... Really skilled. Like,
1: I, I guess it's hard to tell with the three-point shooting because, like, that was one of the things early in his career. was like, oh, he can hit three, and then, yeah, exactly. like, he just never took them. No, in the um, modern game, he'd take, like, five, six threes a game. Yeah, Easy. I think so. And, like, at six nine, you know, at that time, it was more like, well, you're you're a small forward, maybe a power forward. Mm, yeah. Now he would, I don't know, maybe be a at times a stretchy five, but certainly a, a pick-and-pop four. Um, yeah, I think it would be... It would be cool. He also, I mentioned earlier that the Ironman stuff he had with Vancouver. So he only missed three games over five seasons with the Grizzlies. He also, because of the timing of a trade in 2003-2004, played
0: 85 games in a season. That's that's a nice record that no one will ever break. Yeah. Honestly. Like, you could factor in probably the the, now the in-season tournament and the play Like, if a team plays in-season tournament and play-in, there's a potential to play three extra games. So you actually could mathematically get to 85 even though three of them wouldn't count as you, the accounting thing. But, yeah, no, it would be interesting. It's also – can I ask you just a quick follow-up yeah. too? It's just like what is the – what what's the upcoming deal with Tubi? Oh, they just a bunch of G League TV games are now shown
1: on on Tubi. It's oh, not nice. it's not every nice. game, but yeah, yeah, there are select ones. Okay. And like the like Raptors nine hundred five fans don't have to worry. You can still no, watch still them watch online, them on YouTube, even yeah. if they're not on uh, NBA TV Canada. Right, uh, they're all available on YouTube because of geo restrictions and stuff. Okay. But yeah, if you have like the Tubi app or whatever, yeah, um, a lot of people
0: have the Tubi app. So yeah, this is going to be really good for the league. Yeah, there's
1: yeah. A, there's usually you know at least a handful of games a week. They've obviously given priority to you know getting the night games on there and stuff like that. If they're gotcha. not if they're not ESPN Plus games, so. Um, yeah it's it's uh it's pretty cool it's again crazy like three missed games <laughs> over five seasons and then an eighty five game season no he, he basically he, made up the games
0: that he missed in the five earlier seasons yeah no i mean i that's the thing too It's just like you know he's yeah i mean I know the Grizzlies is kind of a sad story really but um you know i i i, I still i still feel like a real like sense of joy when I walk around. Um, just anywhere in Canada, and you will see some Sharif Abdul Rahim Grizzlies jerseys still to this day. Yeah, it's, it's a very an elite throwback. Yeah, um, seriously. speaking of great gear. Yeah, wow, that's a great setup because we're back showing off the exclusive Course Light Chill Fleece again on Raptors game day. As a reminder, this is an exclusive fleece designed by Joey Golish. C- clearly exclusive. I don't have one. Yeah, I know. I know you want one, Blake. Uh, we are going to use a segment to potentially get you one. But uh, yeah, the fleece is designed by Joey Golish. Founder and creative director of Mr. Saturday. Um, yeah, I mean, you've seen me wear outfits twice in a week before, yeah. but uh, is this actually one that you would like to see me Yeah, wear
1: I mean, more this is the there? first one that is in camo, so that's <laughs> nice. Um, but also, like, it's reversible, so you can yes, pull off, yeah. like you can see in the picture here, or you, you the know? other day on the show, like you can flip it around, wear it both ways, so you can get away. That's like, right. first of all, I'm not a I'm not an outfit tracker, I'm not doing the curb oh, your you're enthusiasm not clocking my, my thing. Fits. Yeah, I'm not okay. clocking your outfits. Right. You um, nah, and you wear whatever you want, man. It yeah. we're on TV two hours a day. It's fine. No, you're right. Um but yeah, it's good, man. I, I I do think it would be a funny bit if after bad losses you wore the dark side and after wins you wore the light side. Hey, of
0: course, like well, this could be arranged. Trust trust me. Trust me. Call call my people. But uh yeah, I've been styling it for in a few ways, reversing it from both sides. Um obviously i love the quality of this too. Like it's uh it's it's warm, but it's also it's like a boxy fit, so it gets that little cool feeling as well, you know. But uh no, I just think it's all kind of stylish and this is the thing. This is very eye catching Kaka because we were actually at the game and we saw this one courtside, uh, you know, at the last few Raptors home games. So, you know, today at five PM, get in that line at uh Union Station Market. Uh there will be a limited quality, uh quantity of uh, for fans to get their hands on. This is your only chance to get a chill fleece. So get down there early, answer a Raptors trivia question, and Joey will be there to size you up and style it for you. Wow, this is this is incredible. I would believe- very happy if I got this. And, again, the, the reverse side is black and white. But uh, it's just a nice fleece, man. Blake, we are got to hook you up. That's all. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll figure it out, man. There's a, it's a long season. I want to see you, me, and Alex all pull up in the chill fleece for one of these shows. Damn. But, uh, Will, we'll take a quick break because we're going to have to talk about the Denver Nuggets um, after the other side of this break. But I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
2: Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host Wayne Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Again, great interview uh and way to tap dance too man that was, that was impressive that was impressive to see you tap dance and give us uh, all the information on jonte porter but we're actually going to talk about the uh the the other brother on this side of things with uh adam Maras uh oh, yeah of- michael
1: porter jr i thought you were saying adam mares
0: was jonte porter's brother uh, no? you, you might be we never uh, know it's been but- a long day adam what's up man what's up
2: What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm not a Porter brother. I wish I was. I would shoot a lot better.
0: <laughs> well, they they all have, like, one bad injury at some points, but they also have every God-given talent on earth when when they are healthy, which is great. Uh,
1: so, Adam, you're at, at DMVR Sports and the All-City NBA pod with, with Tim Legler. Um, Man, we we messaged a little bit after the Nuggets won the championship last year, and from a, like, media and fan standpoint, how much more chill has this, regular season been to you versus regular seasons in the past coming off of the championship?
2: Well, it's, it's a bit, bit of a double-edged sword because you're right that it is more chill. The losses happen or something, an injury happen, and you're just not sweating it. But on the other side, there's almost less excitement. I mean, mm. the Nuggets, me, hey, it feels like nothing matters. They're above the regular season. I say that kind of in jest because nobody should be above the regular season, but that's kind of how it feels. And so it's a little bit of a weird feeling.
0: Yeah, I just remember after the Raptors won the championship, but this is totally different. This is like if uh you guys won the championship and like Jokic was like, "All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> see you. <laughs> I'm going to New York uh randomly, but um but after the Raptors championship, I just remember like every time the Raptors would win a game, I'd be like, "Never underestimate the heart of a champion." <laughs> It'll be like a random Raptors uh Sixers game in, in in December or something, you know. So uh I I'd look I mean I just hope that uh you know you guys are fully enjoying um, this team. I mean, look, I, they have had some uneven results. I, I feel like I've all like I've found a way to always tune into when you guys play the Rockets, and somehow the Rockets are like the, the banana peel for the Denver Nuggets. You guys are 18 and 10, which is a little bit below last year's pace, um, especially because you guys started so well last year. But um, yeah, th- tell us about you know the state of the Nuggets right now. What's getting people? I guess not just excited, but, you know, what, what's getting people through the season beyond the fact that, like, hello, you have, like, an amazing team to look at?
2: Well, first of all, I believe the Nuggets were 18-10 and 10 last year through 28 oh, games. I okay. think they're, they went on a good run right about this time. I think they won 14-16. of 16. We'll see if Denver does that again. Yeah. The story of the season was that Jamal Murray pulled a hamstring injury in the ninth game of the year. And then missed the next, I don't know, 15 games or so, and has, he comes back, he gets an ankle injury on his left ankle, he has to miss a couple games, he comes back and he injures his right ankle. So the story has been that Denver has been without Jamal Murray or without a healthy Jamal Murray for pretty much the entire season. Uh, And and then to kind of give a second piece of context, they've played more games than anyone in the NBA up to this point. They played more road games than anyone. So they've had a little bit of an uneven schedule. I think that they, to be 18 and 10, given that context is pretty impressive, and You know, they're starting to look better and better. Um, When they have their full cast of characters on the court, they've been winning some pretty impressive games and getting impressive wins. And this is really the first stretch where it's been about four games in a row where everyone's been healthy. So I expect the Nuggets, like last year, to kind of find a rhythm here in the next month and and start to look like one of the contenders again.
1: So Murray has been back for six games now, and he has been ridiculously efficient shooting the ball for someone just coming off of an injury. He's also been playing a much lesser of a playmaker role in those games since he came back. And I wonder, Adam, maybe this is too noisy a sample fresh off of injury. Is that kind of a, a conscious decision from the Nuggets in how in reacting to how defensive defenses have started to try to handle the Jokic Murray dynamic? Or is that, you know, is that something that Jokic and Murray can just find a, a different level with that they're just kind of going through the ups and downs.
2: Well the exciting thing about the first nine games before he got hurt was that his playmaking was way up. And, of course, last year in the playoffs, he averaged 10 assists in the finals. And his playmaking throughout the playoff run was really impressive because Murray has always been that sort of secondary playmaker. I thought the way he read the court throughout the playoffs, and in particular in that final series, were what was required of Denver to beat Miami. Yes, they were more talented, but they needed Murray specifically. They the The Heat kind of made the decision to guard the perimeter and say, make these two guys beat you. And I thought Murray just made a lot of great decisions and read the court as well as I ever saw him. And the first two, three weeks of the season before he got hurt this year, he carried that over and he looked like the best playmaker, the best version of himself as a playmaker that we'd seen. So I would say it's probably more the recent small sample size of coming back from injury. Um, But I expect his playmaking to pick up as he gets a little bit more comfortable on the court.
1: In terms of how defenses have tried to adjust to this Jokic-Murray dynamic, I know there's more to the team than that, but that's got to be you know a top three, if not top one, two-man game to control. Um, What have you seen... Teams try to do against that that might be different or new this year?
2: Well, I think that n- number one, you know, the the idea of making Jokic a score, I know it gets laughed at a little bit, but I honestly think it's the best way to try to beat Denver is he's gonna beat you with scoring if he has to, but he is so much more comfortable getting everybody involved. When Denver's in the 30 plus assists, uh, you know, category in their games, they're usually winning and they're winning comfortably. So if you just force them to say, Hey, Yoke's gotta take it every time, it just disrupts the rhythm. But I think the one adjustment that teams saw in the playoffs that is actually the right way to guard Denver, if you can do it, is to put uh, somebody on Jokic to try to guard him one-on-one and put your best shot blocker on Aaron Gordon and dare Aaron Gordon in particular to be a spot-up shooter. You know, he loves to out-muscle guys. He loves to play the dunker spot and play big. So if you can move a shot blocker onto him, it takes away a little bit of that rim pressure that he has from the dunker spot. And then it ends up getting him kickouts to the corner, which he can hit. You always hate to concede open shots, but if you're forcing Denver to become a kickout to Aaron Gordon team, you know, you're getting a win. So we saw that last year, the Rui adjustment was putting Anthony Davis in that role. We saw against the Minnesota Timberwolves, Rudy Gobert was guarding, was not guarding Jokic. He was guarding oftentimes Aaron Gordon. And I, we've seen that a little bit this year with teams. You know, uh, Oklahoma City just the other day, Chet Holmgren, mm-hmm. nine block shots in the game. He's not on Jokic. He's guarding Aaron Gordon and just being a help side rim protector. So I think that's the strategy of the best way to go at Denver. And I think teams have finally figured that that's one one option to throw at him.
0: Yeah, wasn't this the adjustment that Michael Malone was like, oh, he was scoffing at this. He's like, oh, you think you found a way to guard Jokic? You, you think that it's so simple? We just put AD on... I mean, to be fair, the, the team did sweep uh, the <laughs> Lakers, uh, which was the funniest part about this. But, um, yeah, I mean. But it, I, is,
2: it is noteworthy that he was making fun of the exact just adjustment that is the best way to guard yeah. Denver. Now, I think the thing he was laughing at was, you know, it was called the Rui adjustment. I think Rui is below the threshold of what you need to guard. Yoke, you <laughs> yeah, know? He's, yeah. He's a little bit better than that, but for teams that have it, You know, that if if you do have a second big, you can throw out there. So Oklahoma City put Jalen Williams, the big Mm -hmm. Jalen Williams, not the little one, the big one on Jokic and allowed Chet Holmgren. That's two centers. That's two bigs. And that night, Jalen Williams was knocking down his three-point shot. So it worked out. But anything short of the big Jalen Williams, which Rui is, you know, he's Mm -hmm. more of a forward. Anything short of that is probably too small. And I think that's what Michael Malone was laughing at. It's
1: it's interesting to hear that and to see, to try to figure how the Raptors might play at will because – We've seen them put OG on Jokic in the past. and yeah, but Nick Nurse had,
0: was also quite creative. And, and, I and they didn't if have a center. The
1: they have Jakob Pertl now, which they didn't yeah. have in previous meetings with Denver. So the way Adam's laying it out, I could see at least when Jakob is on the bench, OG on Jokic and Scotty Barnes on Gordon in the corner mm. being that help side shot blocker because he's the best shot blocker on the team. But you're probably going to have
0: Pertl on him to start still, you figure, right? Uh, no, I actually prefer the okay. Nick approach of putting OG on Jokic. I okay. think he's, he's been able to front the post, you know, pick off a couple of entry passes, I think, in addition to forcing Jokic to be a scorer and also bringing the help in the same way, um, you know, limiting his touches will also be kind of key. But, hey, listen, it's hard to know what Darko will do because it's a different coach. But I also wanted to flip it um, to the younger guys because that's another thing with the Nuggets this year. And I saw you tweet out um, hashtag Project Dynasty. (laughs) And I was like, what is this? But, uh, okay, fine. You know what, Project Dynasty... And I want to ask you about the Nuggets prospects, the younger players in terms of just their long-term potential towards, let's say, contributing towards a potential hashtag project dynasty. Uh, I got on the list, Peyton Watson, Zeke Nagy, Jalen Pickett, uh, Christian uh, Brown, and uh, Julian Strother. I'd love to hear you rank those five in terms of just like most promising, most able to contribute, um, and then also maybe just a little bit about their games in general because we know who the main Nuggets are. Like we literally watched you guys win a championship. Who are the next wave?
2: Well, I think the whole idea of Project Dynasty is Denver has five guys that you can lock in. They're starting five are just they're good. They're locked up for a long time and they, you know, they can win, but you need guys behind it. So Mm -hmm. do you go every year you try to find a new veteran and then you lose them? Jeff Green's gone. Then Bruce Brown's gone. you just try to find that every year. Calvin Booth instead says, you know what? Let's get some young players. And that'll give us a three, four year window with the same core. So that's why we we joke about Project Dynasty. But to answer your question, Christian Brown played in the playoffs last year all throughout. Yeah. He played in the finals and he played at a really high level. So I think you can chalk him up. He's not necessarily an upside play. I think he's just a very solid defensive player who's low mistake on both ends of the court. And he projects to be a good bench player for years to come. But the guy that to me is so fascinating is Peyton Watson. Who six eight seven foot wingspan? I think he's got like an eight two standing reach. Which I point that out because he's such a great shot blocker. And some guys they have the wide wingspan left to right, get their hands in passing lanes this or that. For whatever reason, Peyton Watson has a lot of vertical length to him. Mm. He's super athletic, and he when he stands and reaches his arms up, they just go so high. And he blocks shots like a center. I think when you go through a, the block percentage in the NBA, it's all centers and then Peyton Watson and then a bunch more centers. So he stands out as the shot-blocking on-ball defender who has a really great instincts defensively for disrupting plays, staying with guys. And then offensively, his game is a little unique. He's still trying to figure out what it is. He's not a great shooter. He's not a confident shooter, but he handles the ball well. He passes well and he slashes well. Raw in all of those categories, But to me, he's the one player of all of those that doesn't just project to be what Christian Brown is like, okay, can you play him for 12 minutes in a playoff series? He's a guy that it probably will take a few years to fully actualize his potential. But right now he's a super disruptive defensive player, a la Jaden McDaniels or Herb Jones. And then offensively, there's something there that tells you, okay, he's not going to be like Ty who he's always a negative on offense. He might grow into some useful role. So Peyton Watson, to me, is the guy to watch because he is a fascinating prospect.
1: That's Grand Rapids gold basketball, baby. I saw saw a bunch of Peyton Watson in the G last year. And we got to point out,
2: too, look, if we're
1: talking about your long-term fit in Denver. The fact that Peyton Watson stepped up to be a terrific co-star with Nikola Jokic in that pony hotel commercial, uh, you got to right. like the marketing potential there. I didn't see Reggie Jackson or, or Jamal Murray oh. or, or Julian Strother in that commercial.
2: Yeah, they weren't, they weren't there, man. You're right. Peyton Watson. He has the million dollar smile. He's good looking. He's charismatic. I, I, But you saw him, I'm kind of curious what you think. If you saw him so closely with the gold last year, I mean, he was a raw prospect, but do you see what I see as this Jaden McDaniels mold type player?
1: Yeah, I I really like him. And we'll obviously have to see if the the shot comes along enough to, you know, you mentioned the Aaron Gordon defense, like that's going to be a concern with him right now if he's playing minutes either. Um, I thought you know, what he showed in the G last year was the ability to expand beyond just play finishing. He he did a little bit of self-creation. I think he averaged like three and a half assists a game while he was down there. So honestly, I, I maybe made this con- this comparison just because they're both in the same organization. But I did kind of see like maybe a bit of a Bruce Brown role for him where, yeah, you're you're a small four or something like that, but you are doing some of those connector things. If you're in the dunker spot, you can find the, the cutter or, or the dump-off looks and things like that. I just thought... Even though he wasn't particularly efficient down there, the ideas he had and the things he was trying to do suggest to me that's a guy who's going to be able to find his role. And you mentioned the cutting. To me, that's always such a such a good indicator skill of how well you're reading the game and timing and spacing and things like that. A guy who's a good cutter out of the gate, I'm going to have time for developmentally.
2: Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. And he has really taken, um, Jokic has taken him under his wing. Mm. And those guys, I think it's, I, you They're joked earlier, him being in the commercial but I actually think something to it one they share an agency but two there really is something to where I think Jokic sees this is a guy that does something nobody else on our team does and he's not quite ready for it but the quickest I can get him ready for it the quicker we can reach our ceiling so I think there's a special bond there and Peyton Watson I think is like Aaron Gordon when Aaron Gordon arrived to Denver he, and Yo- he really saw Jokic and said, what do you need me to cut out of my game? What do you need me to work on? I think if Peyton Watson takes that same approach, he's going to end up being an extremely useful player molded to what Denver's strengths are.
1: We only have a second left with you here, Adam, but post-championship and with Jokic having two MVPs now, the 76ers fans really, really care about Embiid winning the MVP still. Are Nuggets fans a little over? Like, you got two and you got the title. You, you guys have your consolation trophy.
2: I think everybody likes to make the argument, right? Who should win it or, or where do you go? But I gotta say, I think that Nuggets fans see themselves in a win-win. You win the MVP this year, that's three MVPs. That's legacy building. If you lose it and Joel Embiid grabs it, you better go out there and win the championship. You better not with the Nuggets win back-to-back championships when you stole the MVP, because then it's gonna count. You're gonna count Jokic as four MVPs the way we count Michael Jordan with eight. Uh, which, you know, that's why I say it's kind of a win-win for Nuggets fans, whether he wins it or whether he's unfairly uh taken <laughs> off the
0: belt. Nice, nice. I I look forward to this debate because it, uh, I mean, you really can't go wrong. I think last year I I ended up leaning towards Embiid, but um, I don't know, man. Y'all could just clear the better player to me. So (laughs) I think that that also should count for a lot. But uh, Adam, appreciate you and um, enjoy the game tonight, I guess.
2: Absolutely. You guys as well. Thanks.
0: Adam Mars, the MBR
1: Sports, the All City NBA Pod with Tim Legler. Well, I know you wanted to ask him about podding with Tim Legler, but we podding kind of ran with out Tim of time. Tim Legler
0: there. is amazing. Yeah, and I would love to get Tim Legler on this. I mean, you program. get to do a radio show with
1: Mark Stein once a week. That's uh... no,
0: that's 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 amazing. We get Dennis on the show every yeah. week. You're on the show every day. Alex is on the show every other day, uh, every other segment. What a drop off. Tim Legler and Mark Stein, Blake and Alex. Um, all right, no, but seriously, we got to get legs on the show. Yeah,
1: we only got a, a little bit left here. It's time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Pretty clear injury reports tonight. Aaron Gordon is probable mm. with a, a heel thing. Okay. Both teams have a lot of guys down at the G League Showcase. Um, Vlatko Kankar and Christian Coloco remain out. They've been they've been out for both teams, so not a real impact in terms of uh, injury on either side. The Raptors are only four-point underdogs. The over-under set at 229.5. This is a Denver team, uh, 10th in offense, 11th in defense, and really the only weakness I see in the statistical profile or watching these guys mm. is you can run on them in transition, and they don't care to get out in transition. If you can win the transition game, maybe you have a chance, but on both ends in the half court, they're going to destroy you probably. Uh, how you feeling, Raptors plus four?
0: <laughs> Man. Look, I can understand and I can appreciate that the Raptors had played the Nuggets well. Last year, there was that infamous game where the Raptors led the whole way uh, the, and the then Raptors they lost get at an the end. Ass- well, there's also the one
1: earlier than that where the Raptors get an assist on the Nuggets championship where the Raptors beat them in Toronto and it was the fourth loss in a row for Denver and they finally woke up. They were in that, like, that, that lull. That was the second game. That oh, was, was in Toronto, the and, and the Raptors
0: beat them in that one. But the first one, the Raptors led the whole entire way. They played a lot of pick and roll from Fred and to, to, to Jakob. And Jakob had a great game, too. Um, But then eventually their offense died down and there was some questionable officiating. That was the game where Scott Foster ejected uh, Scotty Barnes, I believe, in the fourth quarter of that one late. Um, So that game was winnable and then they actually won the the return game. But like, honestly, the Nuggets are just such a clearly better basketball team than the Raptors right now. And even if you say the Raptors have the personnel or maybe they have the schemes left over from last year to make it tough on them. I kind of doubt it, man. The Nuggets are just in a very, very different tier. So I'm definitely backing the Nuggets on this one. And But my biggest thing is just what Stark are going to do? You got to be very creative tactically to stop uh, a great player like the like Yokich and also a great two-man pairing. So uh, that was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. And that does it for us today. I've been your host, Walu. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review the show. Thanks once again to Mark Stein, Sharif abdul Adam Maris, producer and co-host, Alex Wong. Thanks for nothing, buddy. Blake Murphy, our board producer, Derek Brendale, Jennifer Ronick David Sis, Jared Manitad. We'll see you tomorrow.